You like American music. I like American music. Don't you like American music, baby? Non-Serbian Media Presents, an interview from one of our early projects, available previously only on our YouTube channel. Exploring Anarchism 2015, with Corey Massimino, on Individualism and Markets. Okay, uh, well my name is Corey Massimino, um, and I identify as an individualist anarchist. Um, and I think the basic idea behind individualist anarchism is that um, there's no authority but yourself. Um, we reject external authority, we reject the state's claim to authority over us, uh, we reject the authority of anybody to do with our bodies what they want. Uh, you know, I believe everyone has personal self-sovereignty. Um, they have the right to live their life as they, as they wish as long as they don't infringe on other people's uh, right as well to live as they wish. Um, so I think, and I think when we tease that out, I think we, we get that, the, that robust commitment to individualism, we get anarchism. Um, because there's really just no grounding for the state authority unless you believe in um, you know, divine command theory and you think the people that are in charge of the government are you know, special in some way and very indistinct, maybe you can say that they can rule over us, but I think people are fundamentally equal in moral worth, so I think we're all on equal footing and that implies a society with no state overarching telling everybody else what to do. I don't think an individual's anarchist society is just everyone doing whatever they want um, because I think everyone has equal liberty. I, th I think there are, there are limits on on what we're what we're morally permissible to do, and I think in, in that kind of society, we'd have in, we'd have institutions that do defend people's rights um, to live as they wish, as long as they don't infringe on everyone's equal right to do the same. Um, and I I think um, uh, there's an issue with trying to totally predict to, to give a blueprint of a free society. If we could do that, we, then it kind of loses the lore. I think uh, why don't we just have a state and mandate those certain institutions? Um, but I think a general idea is that. Uh, People living peacefully together um, tend to trade. They tend to, do, uh, you know, give uh, trade services and labor to each other um, because they can be better off. They can uh, better allocate their scarce resources. Um, so I think in a free society, you naturally would have a very uh, developed marketplace um, where people are free to trade uh, with each other without infringing on everyone else's rights. Um, so. Uh, and in terms of defending people, um, I think a sort of stateless legal order is totally possible and desirable. I don't think there's anything about law as a good that makes it um, as if the only the state could provide it. Um, uh, people want dispute resolution. They want to solve their conflicts with other people. Uh, they don't want to be constantly harassed and attacked and have violence committed against them by their neighbors. So there's a service. There's a profit opportunity for entrepreneurs to come in. And one of the ways they could do that is through kind of competing firms, I guess, companies. Um, that provide that kind of service to uh, help people resolve disputes, help people arbitrate their conflicts, and then also um, entwined as sort of the, it doesn't have to be part of that firm itself, they can maybe contract this out to all others or, um, or something, uh, but part of the service would also you know, include uh, being able to uh, use, use force to defend people's rights. Um, but I think with the problem with the state is that when we monopolize this, this power, uh, it just becomes itself an agent of force and violence uh, with no or little accountability. Um, and uh, so, as is the problem with all monopoly, um, you have informational problems and incentive problems. Uh, the informational problems include 
um, you know, knowledge is very decentralized and very dispersed uh, among everybody in society. There's no just one person that can know what everyone else is doing and figure out the best plan. Um, it involves uh, the actions of everyone uh, together, um, kind of producing an order that's not really a result of human design. No one sat down and put everything in place like a puzzle, but it's still a product of human action just because everyone is cooperating together and you get this kind of spontaneous legal order. Um, and then the second problem for the monopoly uh, legal order, the state, is the, uh, the incentive issue. You know, the people running the state are no different than everybody else, there's nothing special about them. They have their own self-interest and their own desires too. Um, so you can put whatever institutional limits you want on the state. I mean, the, uh, in America we have probably one of the better states uh, in human history. We have the sort of division um, between the branches of government. Um, I just want to take that to its logical conclusion and completely to make it um, com make it completely divided and competitive among just uh, firms or organizations on completely equal footing. Um, if, if you think that you know concentrated power is an issue and it uh, makes people prone to, or I guess makes people in positions of power prone to abusing it, um, and you you want to stop that problem, well, you need to crush the monopoly. You need to introduce competition into the system. You need to give people the alternatives to pick and choose wh what kind of lives they want to lead. Um, and I think that's more likely to get more um, a sort of social order that's more conducive to pluralistic human flourishing than this big monopoly that we think we can just kind of tame and control. So, what's the difference between a state and a service provider in a free market? Um, well, uh, fundamentally, they, they, they are both operating with regular people uh, pursuing their self-interest. Um, the, the difference is, I think, partly institutional and partly cultural. Uh, institutionally, uh, the state ha is able to use violence to prevent other people from offering those same goods and services. Um, so if maybe I get into a conflict with somebody and I don't think this, I don't want to wait you know, years and years and go through all this paperwork that the state judicial system would require of me, maybe there's an alternative service provider, an entrepreneur who can better fulfill what I, what I demand at that moment. Um, but if you have a monopoly in legal order, then you don't get to try the alternatives. You don't get to see what else is out there. You're stuck in the, in the one-size-fits-all model. Um, and, this, and, and so the institution itself is just inherently violent. Um, and, and there's no way to get around that if you, if you want to keep the monopoly. As soon as you break the monopoly and introduce competition into the system, it stops really being a state. And the second issue that seems to change it is cultural, um, because the, the state the state is the, an agent of violence. It relies on violence to get what it wants, um, but the state couldn't thrive without a certain sort of culture supporting it, nonetheless. Um, because you know, suppose that I don't want to pay my taxes, and so then men with guns come to my house to try to collect those taxes for the state. Um, well, what about those men that are coming? Those men that are coming to my house. Uh, you know, are they being forced to come to my house? No, I mean, they're, they're, they're obedient. They think that for some reason what they're doing is legitimate. They think they're a part of a completely socially legitimate institution um, and it's all fine and dandy and I just owe them the money because, because I live here. Um, and uh, so, so that kind of, those certain cultural norms, that deference to authority, the, the, the underlying notion that for some reason the state can do these things and everybody else can't is ultimately what, what, what um, is that the foundation uh, of state authority? Um, I think that states come about through conquest and violence, but at some point they have to get everyone, or at least the majority of people, on board with the kind of idea um, to go along with it. And that's why I think the fundamental way to get rid of the state uh, is to change that culture. If people stop thinking, you know, if the men with guns that come to my house suddenly realize, well, 
maybe I should be pointing a gun at this innocent person for not giving me money um, because the organization I work for is, isn't particularly special. Um, if they don't want to do that, then they, they, then they won't. Then the system collapses. Um, and same with uh, even if you had um, more concentrated uh, power, you know, and with our government now it's divided in a sense, but even if you had dictatorships, uh, the dictator is just one person, you know, they have to get everybody kind of on the same page to do what they want. Um, so I think it's institutional and cultural uh, that kind of make the state fundamentally different, but, but fundamentally awful. Sure. So let's take institutional first. As anarchists, what can we do to erode the institution of the state? Well, um, I think one avenue that a lot of people choose is to try to uh, get it, get, get in control of the state, um, to try to tame it, to try to elect people into office and propose certain sorts of bills and policies to, to make it um, less abusive. I think that uh, that's largely a waste of time. I don't think it's likely we're going to be able to tame the state, um, uh, mostly because it's just institutionally violent. and it's. And the way it's structured makes it makes it inherently conservative. Um, there's no room for entrepreneurship. There's no room for progress and doing something different or being a black sheep and, and you know offering something new to society. Um, it's completely it's totally based on stagnation. Um, and even if you like people, if you somehow find people to get to office that share your views on limiting the government, um, one you have to somehow convince a bunch of people to vote for them. Um, in which case there are no marginal victories. You have to get everyone, you have to get 51% of the population to even, to, to agree with you, to even get someone in office. And once they get into office, then, the, you know, uh, they're limited power, uh, they have limited power within the state. Um, if you, you know, we get one congressman elected or whatever, they're not going to make any sort of large uh, scale impact. Um, and even a president, too, uh, has certain limits on their power. I mean, it's, I mean a lot of times it seems like it doesn't. Uh, they don't, I guess, but... Um, there are certain, it's even even a libertarian or anarchist president. I guess that's ironic, but um, even someone uh, president in that situation, there are incentive issues uh, that affect the way the way they might govern. So you know, I mean, to get really high in the political process, you have to do people favors. You have to cater to special interests. You have to pander to voters. It's so I really don't see any uh, successful um, change coming from politics. And I think, uh, but I think the way to change the institutions um, is to create new ones. Um, you know, we, we can't, we're not going to change the state and make it good all of a sudden just by voting in new people. It's fundamentally awful. It's fundamentally rotten. So we have to build alternative institutions. Um, and that, you know, that involves uh, things uh, like gray and black market uh, service providers, you know, doing things outside the purview of the state, pursuing the real alternatives um, that are available within the limited context. Um, and as more and more people, I think, uh, use those alternative institutions, the, the more they become convinced of the efficacy of those alternative institutions compared to the state, uh, but the less the power the state has uh, over your lives. If, you're, if, you're, if you free yourself from the government and your everyday actions and you, just, and you rely on these alternative institutions, uh, eventually as more and more people do that, this, there's not going to be anybody left for the state to, to boss around um, and, and sort of that tie ties into the, the cultural shift. Um, as well, and I think a large part of, of changing the culture is showing people these alternatives. Um, I mean, I guess we can sit around all day and convince them that, that the non-aggression principle is true or something, but um, I think a lot of it will have to take place, you know, on the ground, people trying out new things, trying to build, to live their lives as they see fit, um, and with, without caring about the state's authority or the state's lack thereof. Um, and 
I think that's a pretty inspiring view. I think when more and more people see people living for themselves and not being obedient serfs to the government, I think they're more likely to kind of open up to this culture of independence um, and, uh, and that sort of erodes that the culture I was talking about that is what the state relies on. What are your positive roles? Like what, what would you want to see? Um, well, again, I think it's hard to predict what a free society would look like, but personally... What would yours look like? Um, well, I mean, in mine, there, there would be lots of comic book shops and pizza shops everywhere, I guess. But, I mean, that's probably a good thing I'm not in government then. <laughs> uh, not, design, not designing a new energy world. Um, I, th I think that any free society worthy of the name will probably have some sort of uh, market institutions, um, because for me, markets give people voice and exit. Um, uh, it allows people to do things on their own um, without having to ask their neighbor or ask the community council or ask the government. Um, it allows people those alternatives and that's incredibly important uh, if we live in a society where certain groups are marginalized uh, and oppressed and they don't have a lot of options. The market gives them that, that kind of uh, that exit, that ability to try something on their own and to build a new world of their own. Um, so I do think markets play a fundamental role in uh, preserving um, a social order where people are kind of free to try their own thing. And I think from an economic aspect, I think markets are very efficient um, at doing that sort of thing. I don't want to, and when I say markets, I guess I should clarify. Um, there's a couple ways to talk about markets. I mean, when some people think of markets, I guess they think of Walmart and, you know, big corporations and millions of dollars changing hands and all these sorts of things. And uh, that's not really my vision of free society. I don't think, um, I don't think Walmart as it exists would be the same in a free society without the government benefits. Um, and it possibly wouldn't exist at all. When I say market, I mean more just peaceful exchange. It's the nexus of voluntary interactions. People can come together and cooperate in a number of different ways. It could be based on trading goods and services for cash, um, so you can go buy your own stuff, or it could be completely some sort of more collective, um, smaller knit decentralized decision making, like, um, you know, what we're doing here, just a group of people talking about issues, spending their day together and uh, getting to know each other. and really living their lives as they see fit. Um, and so I think the market, it's, really it's a really dynamic process. And I think without the state kind of getting in the way and telling people what to do in the marketplace at every single turn, um, we would see a much more vibrant, uh, pluralistic market. It would look very different. And I'm not sure how it would look, but I think, I think we'd see a lot of variance over communities um, and, uh, and decentralized units uh, of social organization uh, within the bigger anarchy. I like to think of it as like a market of markets. Um, so, you know, you can, from a wide variety of options at the state, you can choose the sort of legal order that, uh, that best suits your life and your, and your choices. Um, and within the marketplace, that, that, that very institution um, gives you the ability to pursue those things um, just, just of your own initiative. Uh, you don't have to rely on somebody else. So it's fun. It connects back to the, you're not deferring to somebody else's authority. You're, you're taking your own life and, and like going with it. And you're, you know, your, your authority is what matters. Uh, and I think the marketplace lets people really control their own lives in, in an important way. A lot of people, when they hear us talk about individualism and markets, view individualism and markets as necessitating the exclusion of community right um, well I think I think they have a, a, a legitimate point 
Um, and I think some defenders of individualism in markets unfortunately sound this way and unfortunately believe that. They believe it's the sort of uh, pick one or the other. And I think, but I think it's a false dichotomy. I think, in, I think true individualists recognize people are social creatures. Um, we like living in society. We like engaging with each other. We like uh, interacting with each other, whether through the marketplace and trading or whether through you know, just hanging out or whether through some other sort of decision-making process. Um, and I think all those things are important for like a really robust individualism. Um, it's not about viewing people as just atoms, you know, completely isolated. Um, it's about viewing them as part of a, an entire sort of network of social interactions. But at the same time, recognizing the individual's fundamental place in that social interaction, in the web of social interactions, and respecting their ability to choose which social interactions they want to live by and, and pursue. Um, I, uh, and, and I don't see the state as solving this problem because the state seems completely anti-social and anti-community. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's organized violence. It's telling people what to do it's, uh, instead of you know, engaging with them as equals and forming a real meaningful community and a real meaningful bond. It's just telling people what to do. Um, and it's not community. That's not, the, that's not society. That's, that's not free, peaceful human uh, interaction and organization. That's the complete opposite. Um, and it makes the problem worse. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think uh, individualism and community and social action are absolutely compatible. I think it's a false dichotomy to view them uh, as somehow, uh, you know, opposing each other. What can a market do to provide social safety nets for those that are disadvantaged, not by, you know, the state, but by, by nature? Right. Um, I think this is a, another legitimate worry by people. I think it comes from a place of actual caring. Um, and I think it's it's one that 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 supporters of markets and supporters of anarchists there is their duty to kind of show them at least one way in which this this won't be an issue. Um, and so the first I would say it doesn't seem like the state solves this issue very much. Um, it seems like the majority of state uh, action actually serves to benefit wealthy elites, not not the poor and marginalized. And if it'd be kind of odd if the net effect was to benefit the poor and marginalized because, what, what, what incentive do politicians have to cater to the poor and marginalized? If they're poor and marginalized and we live in a democratic society, well, then they're not really going to have any say in what the government's doing. Uh, the people with the connections, the people that donate to campaigns, and, and uh, the communities that are uh, not marginalized or viewed as normal or dominant, they're the ones that are really controlling the direction of the state. Um, so markets give people voice, voice and exit out of that. Uh, it gives them the ability to do things on their own. Um, and I think in a free society, I mean, I think mutual aid is an extremely important uh, cultural value. I, I, I think that the state sort of crowds that out by telling people, oh, well, you know, it's, mutual aid is just government aid. Um, it's just us taking money from some people and giving it to others. Um, and that's the idea of helping people and, and being charitable, um, taking money by force and giving it to, you know, whoever you want. Um, and in a free society, I think mutual aid and uh, voluntary charities and other sorts of informal social networks can really serve to help the marginalized. And I think in addition to kind of strong local communities um, that are able to assist each other, uh, that having an overarching market institution uh, is really fundamental, both because I think markets make people richer. Uh, I think it makes them better off. People can engage in trade and, and allocate their, you know, what they're, and they can offer people goods and services uh, based on what they can actually offer, um, and they can, like, get out of bad situations uh, without the government stepping in the way. Um, so I think, I think it's kind of a combination of 
a certain sort of culture that's favorable to mutual aid and the institution of markets that allow people to get wealthier. Well, let's talk about mutual aid for a little bit because a lot of people don't know what that is. Well, I think mutual aid is, I think it's sort of a good catch-all term for the general uh, uh, local or decentralized cons uh, ability to um, to get resources where they are sort of lacking um, and to able to recognize that uh, you know, certain people in the community may be marginalized, their options may be limited, um, they may, it may be due to natural factors or maybe social factors, um, but either way, mutual aid I think is, is, is sort of the way of looking at society as, well, we're, the way we're, we're going to help the worst off is not by creating some big powerful government that inevitably serves the wealthy, um, it's by focusing on our own communities. Um, I think mutual aid is really tied into anarchism in a fundamental way because I think you have to live both. I, I, you know, I mean, we don't have anarchism now, but I, but I think uh, in, a, in a real sense, um, people who live their own lives as they wish are, are living anarchy. And I think people who live their own lives uh, in a way that's caring and egalitarian for the marginalized and other people in their community who are not as well off as they are, I think that's also a fundamental way to sort of live out these ideas. Um, and, I th and I think a society without mutual aid that's sort of, um, I don't, again, I don't think it's, it's um, incompatible with individualism, right? I think in a society of true individualism, I think you, you'd recognize that, well, individuals that are worse off matter, um, and, and it, you know, it falls on us to help them. Um, creating a state to solve the issue sort of defers the problem. It's like, oh, well, we'll just create the government to somewhere and then they'll handle it or something. Um, but I, again, I think, I, I think uh, you know, deferring to their authority is both inefficient at solving these issues and just sort of morally bankrupt. I think you know, doing it ourselves, promoting these sorts of values uh, in communities is what's going to help the worst off. I think the state, I think the, the, the general safety of a given uh, social, bo uh, social body or a given community or a given country um, it's largely determined on their culture. Um, if you have a culture that glorifies violence and, and promotes all these sorts of bad things that involve violating people's rights, then, then if you have a government, then the government will reflect that, those cultural views. Um, and if you have a, an anarchy, then the institutions that spontaneously rise in that anarchy will reflect those cultural views. Um, I, think it's, I think there are some institutional uh, reasons why having a state promotes those more uh, than, these all, than, the, than sort of uh, market uh, free market sort of institutions, um, because the free market promotes peace. You don't want to like kill your neighbor if they can trade with you. Um, if they can sell you stuff that you want, or you can sell them stuff they want, then it's a mutually beneficial exchange. Um, so the, the state does the exact opposite, right? It's, it it creates a um, just a, a relationship in which there's only gain on one side, um, and I think we can see this by the way states deal with other states and people that live in other territories that the state doesn't have a control over yet. Um, I think it's no doubt that, the, that states often uh, promote, violent, promote lots of violence and destruction outside of their territory because the people who they're kind of held accountable to, the culture that they respond to, it, uh, it, uh, they don't see that or they don't care about it as much. Um, and so there's other people outside the state territory are suffering. Within the state, you, you get similar issues though. I mean, it's, it's hard to totally um, uh, separate um, foreign policy from domestic policy. And I think we see this with the, uh, you know, in the last hundred years, especially the last 15 years, the state has become growingly uh, imperial abroad, um, growingly uh, sort of 
just uh, I guess uh, more interested in, in in manipulating other countries' affairs in such a way they can benefit uh, their own interests and the wealthy elites that kind of align with the state. Um, and at the same time, uh, domestically, that's spilled over into an awful police state that involves lots of uh, police violence and, uh, secu and security state as well, which involves not necessarily violence, but avenues for which the state could then pursue violence if they get something on you or something. You know, how dare you root a certain plant in your home or something. Um, and it seems fundamentally wrong in itself, too. Uh, so I think, I think the state promotes violence at home and abroad because the state is violence. Um, there's just no way to separate it. Um, and these alternative institutions, while if the, if the culture that, that they operate under is violent, they, will be, they won't be great either. But if, a cult, if the culture is uh, more peaceful, more favorable to um, you know, the market and peaceful interactions, uh, you will get institutions under anarchy that are favorable to those sorts of, that's those sorts of interactions. Um, but when you introduce a state to, to, get, to get that social order, then it just messes it up. It gets in the way, it, and it's hard to translate values of peace and tolerance into the state. Um, even if you have a culture that's like that, the state might be better than a really violent culture state, um, but it's still fundamentally going to be rooted in, in that theft and extortion and violence abroad. Um, so, um, so I would say, with with a government or without, the culture is really important. Um, but in either case, whether you have a bad culture or a good culture, it seems like those those free institutions um, are probably more conducive to uh, what we'd say, you know, are the, the good cultural values like peace and human flourishing. Who would you recommend if someone wanted to know more about how to create a more free and beautiful world? Who, who should they look into? Um, I think it really depends on people's interests. People uh, that are interested in creating a free and better society have a wide variety of interests. You know, I myself study philosophy and I'm really interested in kind of the theoretical arguments and the armchair philosophizing. Um, and my, my, you know, one of my favorite philosophers is Roderick Long. Uh, so I'd recommend people interested in sort sort of the philosophical arguments about anarchism um, and the moral foundations of these positions. Check out some of his work. Um, I think for people who are more interested in maybe uh, the efficacy of a free society in terms of maybe consequences and sort of more economics, um, I think there are two good sources. I think I'm a really big fan of. Um, George Mason University and the economists there, mainly uh, Peter Betke. Um, I think the research program there is is basically uh, the modern Austrian school is really, really uh, tight-knit there. Um, I think they're doing a lot of good work. And then also, at the same time, I'm very favorable to Kevin Carson and his sort of uh, mutualist um, arguments. And I, I don't think they're all necessarily incompatible, so I think those are some interesting thinkers to look into. If you're interested in, you know, the the if you're interested in practical anarchy and kind of achieving it, well, then you just have to look to yourself. <laughs> like that's basically what, who it starts with. So yeah, you got to be it. Yeah. Thanks to Corey Massimino, Students for a Stateless Society, the organizers of Exploring Anarchism 2015, and the original non-Serbian media crew for making this interview possible. And a big thanks to our Patreon community, whose ongoing support makes all of our work possible. If you would like more content like this in the world, you can help sustain and grow the non-Serbian Media Collective by becoming a Patreon supporter yourself. To watch the original video interview, or any one of our 100-plus other videos covering topics from anarchist and anti-authoritarian perspectives, head over to our YouTube channel and subscribe.
Connect with Non-Servium Media on Twitter, Instagram, Mastodon, and Facebook. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time.